listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today I get to, to preach on the topic, the thrill of hope. Somebody say the thrill of hope. The thrill of hope. And you see, there is a lot of Christmas hope in this room right now. Right now, there's a lot of, I look around, there's a lot of Christmas hope because most of you, you're holding out hope that you will get what you want for Christmas. So there's a lot of Christmas hope in this room. You're, you're holding out hope for it. You, you, you've done everything you know to do. You've hinted. You, you have sent screenshots of things that you want for Christmas. You, you have intentionally, you've intentionally left your cell phone open to an ad on, on the kitchen counter for something that you want, just hoping that, that someone in your family walks by and sees your phone on that ad. Now, every time you log on Facebook, every time you're on social media, it, that, that same ad keeps popping up. And everybody that offers that particular item, you're seeing it all the time now. And, and so you've, you've hinted, you, you, you have this hope that maybe, just maybe, somebody's going to buy you what you want for Christmas. And on Christmas morning, your hopes will either come to fruition or they'll get thrown away with the wrapping paper. One or the other. I don't know which one it's going to be. You know your family better than I do. I know my family. I, I, hey, there was this one, one Christmas when Kendall was just a little girl, little girl. And she so badly wanted a bell from Santa's sleigh. If you've ever watched the movie The Polar Express, you'll understand the importance, the significance of that. She wanted that bell. She wanted the bell from Santa's sleigh. Mandy and I thought, well, this, we get off cheap this year. You know, this is a cheap gift. They were all sold out. We could not find the bell from Santa Slay. They were all gone. And so we got creative with it. We went and bought a bell. Mandy went to Joanne's Fabrics and she bought some leather. And we made a Santa sleigh bell that Kendall got on Christmas morning. Now, don't you tell Kendall any, any, anything otherwise, okay? That girl's 25 years old. She still believes in all the Christmas magic, okay? So just, just bear with us there. Parents and even Santa will go to extremes to fulfill the hopes of Christmas wish lists. And I know for us personally, Mandy and I, we have spent countless hours searching for the right video games. You know what I'm talking about, parents. You've been there. We have spent so many hours looking for the right Cabbage Patch doll. Yeah, and iPods. You remember when iPods were actually a thing? Yeah, we have spent hours looking for the right ones, all to fulfill Christmas hopes. But, but church, let's be real. Let's be real, because when we get away from, from this week of Christmas, life is often lived without hope. There's so many people. There's even people in this room right now that you've just lost hope. And, and my heart hurts for you because I've been there. I know what that feels like. And, and it's hard to go through life without hope. And we, we have hopes of what life could have been, what, what life could have been like, what it could have looked like. Uh, Proverbs 13 and 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, I looked this up in Eugene Peterson's The Message, and I need you to understand, I don't quote from this a lot because it's a paraphrase of the Bible. It, it's not a translation. It is a paraphrase. But I, I want you to hear how Eugene Peterson wrote this verse so that, so that we could understand it better. He, he said it like this. He said, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heartsick, but a sudden good break can turn life around. You hear that? Listen to it. Unrelenting disappointment leaves you heartsick, 
but a sudden good break can turn life around. We all understand that unrelenting disappointment all too well. We've experienced it. Most of if you've if you've lived life, you've experienced the unrelenting disappointment. It's that sudden good break that we're holding out hope for. That's that's what we want. We want that sudden good. We want something to go our way. We, we want to get the, the right cards dealt out to us. We, we want to know that life is going to be okay because something went in our favor. Like, like the, the stars all lined up and, and now finally we have the favor of God in our lives. That's what we want. We're longing for, for that, that sudden good break. You know, I don't know about you, but I've come to the understanding that God does not operate on RST. Rocky Standard Time. I have figured this out in my life. He does not operate on RST. Insert your name. He does not operate on your standard time. Because I have deadlines. Anybody else in the room have deadlines? Right? I can see, when I raise my hand like that, I can tell who has this whole week off and who has to work at least half a week. (laughs) Who has deadlines this week? Yeah? There you are. There you are. Welcome to church. Um, I have deadlines in my own life. I, I, I have pressing issues. Anybody else in the room, you have some pressing issues? Uh, you know, for, for me, I have a time frame of when and how I want God to intervene. I, I, I've got this, this, this like mechanism in my mind that says, God, this is how you should do things. You know, I, I, it's like I'm coaching God with my life. And what I have figured out with God is that God is not concerned with my time frame. My time frame does not scare God. You see, sometimes we look at the bills and we see the due date. The due date does not scare God. It scares us. And the closer we get to that due date, the less hope that we have. God may have created the seven-day week of working six days and resting one, but that does not mean that he operates within the confines of our calendar. It's not the way God works. He created time. Therefore, he's allowed to operate outside of time. Let let me show you what I mean. In, In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20, Jesus says these words. He says, surely I am coming soon. Some versions of the Bible say, I come quickly. Surely I am coming soon. I come quickly. Okay. That gives you hope, right? He's coming soon. He's coming quickly. 2,000 years later, we're still waiting on him to come quickly. You see what I mean? It it, it can be frustrating if you allow it to be because we operate on a different calendar. Uh, Obviously, his definition of quickly and and coming soon is different than our definition of quickly or coming soon. And and then to top it off, the Bible makes statements like Psalm 90 and verse 4. It says, a thousand years in your sight are like a day. And you're like, I, I, don't have, I don't have a day in your time, God. I don't have a thousand. I'll be dead within a thousand years. Like, I need you right now. I don't need you waiting. And it's times like this, church, that we become disheartened. And if we're not careful, we will lose hope. We'll lose hope. And, and there are things that you're hoping for. There are things that you're praying for right now. 
And it seems like they're never going to come to pass. And if I can do anything today, I want to fill your heart with hope. I want you to once again have that childlike thrill of hope today that when you walk out of this room, you can celebrate this week of Christmas knowing that your God is able and that your God has you in mind. The Bible says that his thoughts are towards you. God is thinking about you right now. God has not forgotten you. God has not forsaken you. God has you in mind right now. And I promise you, God will come through in his time. Amen? Amen. In the the classic Christmas song, O Holy Night, there's this stanza that we sing that I'm afraid that we just often blow right by and and we never give the words a second thought. And and I want to share this, this, this phrase with you or this stanza, this verse, if you will. It says, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Now, I do encourage you to tune in on Christmas morning at 10 a.m. and you'll get to hear Marlene sing that Christmas classic. It's going to be great. But today I want to focus on that one line, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Today, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and find that in your Bible. But I want to add a couple of people to the Christmas story that are normally left out. Like when you think of the Christmas story, you, you don't include these people. They've never been mentioned in a Christmas carol or a Christmas song. There's no children that have ever had to dress up like them for the church Christmas play. Which, by the way, didn't our kids do an amazing job last week? What, what, what an amazing performance as they ministered the gospel to us. But none of those children had to dress up like these two people. Nobody asked them to. They were not included in the script. And, and, and these two people, they're not part of the nativity. They're, they're not included in the nativity. And their names are Simeon and Anna. Now, for some of you in the room, you, you, you've heard of them. You've, you've read this part. But others in the room, you have no idea who I'm talking about because we're, we don't include them. You know, we, we often include the shepherds. We include the wise men, the angels. Hey, even the innkeeper gets, uh, you know, his, he's at least mentioned. We don't know his name, but he's mentioned here. These people are called by name, but yet we do not include them. And honestly, they're closer to the manger than the wise men were. The wise men, I mean, for most of you in the room, you've been around here long enough, you've heard me teach this, and, and if not, you, you, you may know this on your own, but the wise men did not see the child Jesus until he was around two years old. He was around two years old. Therefore, they were not at the manger. These people, Simeon and Anna, they both met Jesus when he was 40 days old, still a relatively newborn, just 40 days old. And so just to help you understand a little bit of of the Jewish tradition, the custom of that day, it it was on the eighth day that Jesus would have been circumcised. And then according to the Old Testament law, let's mention in Leviticus chapter 12, 40 days after his birth, Jesus being the firstborn male was to be redeemed and Mary had to be purified after giving birth, 40 days afterwards. So they went to the temple to offer sacrifices for a burnt offering and a sin offering. It's all part of the routine, part of what they had to do, part of the ritual, if you will. 
And so they go there, being good Jews, they go there to the temple to offer their, their burnt offering and the sin offering. Now, there are only 10 verses in the Bible that are dedicated to Simeon, and there's only three verses that are dedicated to Anna. Both of these people are only mentioned in the book of Luke. And we're going to read these verses this morning. This is the only place that you're going to find anything about them. We don't know much, but, but we can read what we do know. So Luke chapter 2, let's start reading at verse 21. 21. It says, Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, at that, that time, there, was, at that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout. This is all we know about him. Listen to this. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. So the only thing that we know about this guy is he was, he was righteous, he was devout, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, the child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Let's pause just for a moment. We'll pick it up at verse 36 here in just a moment. Let's just wait. I really want you to understand Simeon and what we know about this guy. Apparently, him being a righteous man, Apparently, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. So the Messiah of the Old Testament that the Old Testament had promised for, for hundreds of years, he was promised that he would not die until the Messiah had been born. And so this man, he goes to the temple. He is often looking for for. The Messiah. He, he is holding out hope, if you will, to see the Christ child. He wants to meet the Messiah. But in the process, after he takes Jesus into his arms, he reveals to Mary and to Joseph some, some prophetic news. He, he, he tells them, he, he, he forth tells them about the, this life that, that Christ would have to live. And he tells them, he says, it's a sign from God. He said, but many people are going to oppose him. And as a result, he said, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And, and I can picture him looking at Mary, and he says, and a sword will, will pierce your very soul. In other words, this, this, is, is, this is a blessing, but there's, there's some heartache involved with this also. And he, he, he tells them the truth of this. And let's continue with verse 36. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died 
when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And so you have to get this picture in your head. This lady, this very old woman, would go every day. The Bible says that she stayed day and night fasting and praying at the temple. And, and in this one moment, she, she happens to be in the right place at the right time. How many of you know God can put you in the right place at the right time? Whenever God's ready, God will put you in the right place at the right time. And she's at the right place at the right time. She's walking by, and, and she hears Simeon talking to Mary and Joseph. And what he is sharing with them, she picks up on it, and she knows this is the hope of Israel. This child, this one, this is the Messiah, and she cannot contain it. And she leaves that temple, and she starts telling everyone that she comes in contact with that this is the one that they've been expecting. Now, what do these two people have in common that is so vital to the Christmas story and the birth of Christ? Why am I submitting to you today that maybe, maybe they're worthy enough of, of being included in our nativities. If we're going to include the wise men, which are wrong, by the way, I put them out on my, my nativity, but they shouldn't be there. But if we're going to include them, Simeon and Anna certainly deserve to be there because they both had the thrill of hope. Simeon and Anna, they both had the thrill of hope. And man, I'm hoping and praying that you too are going to have the thrill of hope before you walk out of here today. I, I picture Simeon. I, I, I don't know how often he went. We know that Anna was there every day. I don't know how often Simeon went to the temple. He went this particular day because the Holy Spirit told him to go. But, but, but I picture him often going to the temple, and, and every time they would bring in a little boy, I, I picture that, that he's holding out hope for the Messiah. You know, As the song says, Jesus was a thrill of hope, and the weary world rejoices. And, and I picture as they bring these babies to him that, 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 or to the temple that he takes them in his arms and, and he would look at them and he would just ra- wait for a sign from heaven or something. And then he would just realize, no, this is just a normal little kid. Here, you know, here's, he's cute. Here, take your, take your kid back. I don't, I don't want him. Here he is. Not the one I'm looking for, you know. This is not the droid you're looking for, you know. This, this, is, not the, this is not the Christ child I'm looking for. I'm sure he means a lot to you, but yeah, he's just another kid to me. I don't know what, I don't know. I don't know how many children he held in his arms, but, but he never gave up hope because he had the thrill of hope. He, he was holding out hope that the Christ child was going to be born. And when Simeon held Jesus, he knew that this was the Messiah. What some versions of the Bible, and the King James Version included, says that he referred to him as the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel, it it was a term that was used to describe the long-awaited Messiah that God had promised to his people. The word consolation here, it means one who comes alongside of and brings comfort to a person who who has suffered. Let me read that to you again. One who comes alongside of and brings comfort to a person who has suffered. That is how Simeon referred to Jesus. He is the consolation of Israel. He is going to come alongside of Israel. He is going to comfort us, those of us who have suffered. 
Now, the one thing you'll notice about our text today is that the, hope, the word hope is, is never used. You will not find the word hope in our text today, but it is clearly implied. It's full of hope. Simeon and Anna, they looked around at the world around them, and, and, and no matter what they were facing, they still found a way to hope. Why? Because they had the thrill of hope within them. You see, they weren't just waiting on God. They were waiting for God. It was like, God, we need you and we expect you. We know that you're going to show up in our circumstances. No matter what Simeon and Anna had witnessed, no matter how bad their life experiences were, through all of the disappointments, Simeon was waiting on the Messiah to come. Anna was waiting on the Messiah to come. And, and, and what separated them from most of Israel is that they did not have these, these grandeur expectations like everyone else. Everyone else thought when the Messiah shows up, he's going to be a grown man, even though Isaiah told us he's going to be a baby, he's going to be a child. Everyone else thinks when the Messiah shows up, he's going to be a great warrior, he's going to be a king, and he's going to set up his throne in Jerusalem, and he will rule and reign, and he's going to put those Romans in their place. And, and, and that's how everyone else pictures it, but, but not Simeon and Anna. They did not have that, those kind of expectations. They understood that the Messiah would come alongside, and he would bring comfort to those that were suffering because he was the consolation of Israel. You know, we all place our hope in something. Everyone in this room, you put your hope and you put your faith in something, whether you admit it or not, whether you know it or not, you put your hope in something. And for some of us, no, no, for some of you, because I don't. For some of you, you put your hope and faith in a better government. When the scripture clearly says that the government will rest on his shoulders, Okay? He's big enough to carry that. Oh, God, here we go. I've taught this many times, and I'm not going to get bogged down with it today, but, but some of you, you, you put your faith in the Republican Party or in the Democratic Party or in one of the parties that doesn't, they don't really matter because your vote doesn't count. But no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, please don't email me, please. I'm sure your vote counts. But you put your faith in, in government or what government could be or should be in your opinion. The last time I checked, it doesn't matter who sits in the Oval Office. King Jesus is still sitting on his throne. Church, when will we as Christians start acting like we believe that? Now listen, I exercise my right to vote, okay? I encourage you to do the same. But at the end of the day, that's not where I put my faith. That's not where I put my trust. And so many people, they put their hope in a better government. But, but let's get a little bit closer to home. There's some of you that you put your hope in a better job. If I could just get a better job, if I could just get that raise, if I could just get that promotion. And what's happening is you're putting your hope in, in the world's financial system, in the world's economy. And what you fail to realize is that God's got an economy, and that's the only place where you need to put your hope. And I'm not going to dive into it today, but if you want to know more on how to put your faith and your hope and your finances in God, set up an appointment. Come see one of us. I'll be more than happy to help you out with that. But you've got to stop 
putting your faith in the world's economy and start putting your faith in God's economy. Some of you, some of you, it's, it's a better marriage. You're putting your hope in a better marriage. You, you look down the road and you look at your marriage right now and you're like, I don't see how this is going to work. We're moving in two different directions. I, I have no idea how we, were, we should have never been married. We're not compatible. And, and you're just going through the motions of everything, wondering when, who, which one of us is going to file for divorce first. And you're putting your hope in, in the grass is greener on the other side. Well, let me tell you, the grass is greener on the other side because somebody took the time to water it, maintain it, and even sometimes spread the manure across it, okay? That's why. That's, sometimes you got to go through the crap in order for the grass to be greener, right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And uh, you understand, this is the last time I'm preaching for two weeks, okay? So I got to get it all out today. Is that good? No? Okay. So we put our hope in, in, in a better relationship, a better marriage. And even if we have no hope at all, our faith or our belief in that moment is in circumstances that we've elevated above God. Even when we have no hope, we've allowed our circumstances to be magnified bigger than our God. It's tough sometimes. It's tough when you're stuck in the waiting. That's when hope is ripped out of our lives. That's when we lose the thrill of hope. Because if you show me someone that's got the thrill of hope, I'll show you someone who is, who is thriving in their walk with Christ. And it doesn't mean that they've got everything that they want or everything that they need in life. What it means is they trust God for everything that they want and everything that they need. That's the thrill of hope. You see, I, I, it's moments like this when I can't help but think about my father. Because my father was a man of faith. There were so many people that looked at him and they thought, man, you are just the most optimistic person. My father wasn't optimistic. My, he was a man of God full of faith. When others saw the glass half empty, he always saw it half full. My father, he understood the provision of God. He, understand the, he understood the healing power of God. And there was no one that can, could convince him otherwise. My dad was a man of faith. And sometimes when we allow the circumstances to be elevated in our waiting, we allow the enemy to rip the thrill of hope away. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He says, I am sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it is good for them to wait. Now, that's not Bible, but it's good. I am sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it is good for them to wait. Waiting is just not something that we have to do until we get what we want. That's not what the purpose of waiting is for a, for a believer. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants you to be. We, we miss out sometimes on the blessings of waiting because we want it right now. It's like instant gratification. God, give it to me right now. And when he doesn't, you lose faith in him. You see, if God did that, we would be nothing more than a bunch of spoiled brats. Don't get me, you don't want me to talk about society in our culture right now and how many spoiled brats we have right now, okay? I'm trying to be good. Two weeks is a long time, guys, for, for a preacher not to preach, okay? I've got to get it in here. But to us, it's about deadlines. But to God, it's about development. To us, it's about convenience. But to God, it's about our character. To, to us, it's about time, but 
To God, it's about trust. Do you trust me? Even in the worst of circumstances, Rocky, do you trust me? When you don't get your way, do you still, am I not worthy enough to be trusted? Have I not proven myself? Have I not been faithful to you? Trust me. And Simeon and Anna both kept the thrill of hope. It didn't matter what they were going through. It didn't matter that they were under Roman oppression. It did not matter that the heavens were silent for 400 years and there was no prophetic word. None of that mattered. To them, they kept the thrill of hope. And and here's something that's interesting about it. They kept the thrill of hope by going to the temple often. Matter of fact, Anna didn't leave. She stayed there day and night. I'll let you creep into the new year with that information and you figure out how much church attendance is important to you or not, okay? So here we go. Maybe, maybe they kept the thrill of hope because they held on to Old Testament verses like Psalm 39 and 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Proverbs 23 and verse 18. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Or Isaiah 40 and 31. Maybe this is the verse that, that, that they held on to. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How else can an elderly man and woman still have so much faith that the Messiah is coming unless they wait for the Lord and allow him to renew their strength? And it is one of the great attributes and testimonies of the Christian faith is our ability to have hope in all circumstances. I didn't say we all do it. It's, there is an ability for us to have hope in all circumstances. That should be what describes us as Christians It should be one of our strongest attributes that no matter what we're going through, we still have hope. We still have faith in our Lord and we know that no matter the circumstance, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother and he's going to see us come through this. It's the hope of Christianity and we should have it. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said it like this, Romans 8 and 25. He said, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. How's, when's the last time you waited with patience? Patience. Romans 12 and 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Maybe there's a secret. Maybe the, the key to waiting is to stay constant in prayer like Anna did. And over the next few weeks... We as a church body, we're entering into a season of hope. That's why the thrill of hope has to be restored in your life. Because we're walking into a season of hope here at DCC. And it starts this coming Saturday night. This coming Saturday, I should say. Our Christmas Eve services, if you've never been, be prepared. Because it is a faith-building night and hope will be restored. And it is one of those moments that we all need before we blow our candles out. And we have this thrill of hope of what God's going to do this next year in our lives and in our families and and in our church. It's just amazing how that night builds so much faith. And then we go immediately, January 2nd, we start 21 days of, of prayer and fasting here as a church body. Corporately, we do this together. And we don't dictate what that looks like and how you do it. But I do encourage you, find a way to participate with it. 
21 days of prayer and fasting. I can tell you this, church, that during those 21 days, and we've been doing this for for years, for, for many years, If you've never been a part of it, don't let it freak you out. We're not a cult or anything like that. But I'm telling you, there is power when God's people will fast and pray and believe God for for the miraculous. And there's some things that happen that I cannot explain. But I can tell you during those 21 days, we see miracles happen. We see provision. We see God's God's hand of healing on our lives. We see some of the miraculous things that, that we don't see any other time. But it's because our faith is so great during those moments because we've disconnected from the world and we've connected with God and we've said, God, for 21 days, I just want to know you. I want to know you better. I want to know your heart. I want to know what you want for me. I want to know what, what you long for me to have. Not what I want, God, but what you want for me. And, and we find it during those 21 days. It is such a season of hope. And I want to walk into this next season like Simeon and Anna. I want my expectation level to be high. How many of you are with me? You want your expectation level to be high this next season, amen? I want to walk into this season with the thrill of hope, with eager expectation, expecting God to do something. This is faith, and don't forget, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if we develop that thrill of hope, we let it flood our hearts today and we walk into this Christmas week and then into the new year and we're allowing hope to arise within us, We are pleasing God. We are pleasing God. Hmm. God's looking for people that are longing for, hoping for the return of his son. You see, Simeon and Anna, they were two people, a a minority in, in Israel, that were truly hoping for the Messiah. They were looking for him. They were looking for him the first time. Well, God's looking for people right now that are longing for him on his second time, his second return, or his, his, his second time coming. Longing to see him. It's, it's strange sometimes that I develop this homesickness for somewhere I've never been. Matthew 24 and 42, Jesus said, so you too must keep watch for you don't you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Jesus said that. And then he reiterates it again in the next chapter, Matthew 25 and 13. He says, so you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. You get over to the last book of the Bible in Revelation 16 and 15. And Jesus says these words. He says, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me. You see, this is the thrill of hope for all believers. This is the thrill of hope. And, and I, I want so badly to share more details, but I can't. I, I just can't. But I'll, I'll be as transparent as I can be today. But the, the past year and a half of my life, let me just put it this way. With extended family members, it's been some of the most trying times of my life. There's moments when it truly is just a sacrifice of praise because what the enemy is, is trying to do. And it's been one of the hardest, most testing times of my life. I can tell you this, my, my family is fine. 
talking about extended family. And I was praying the other day, and I was like, God, I don't see how there's going to be repair. I don't see how there will be restoration here. Like, how do I walk this out? And I was so discouraged as I was just praying and just pouring my heart out. Just heartbroken. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I felt like this is what he told me. If it's never corrected here, I will heal it there. Now, that may not mean much to you. But what the Holy Spirit was telling me was that if we don't get it right here, that there all things will be made new. That He'll fix it. And that all I can do right now is just be faithful. And it gave me that thrill of hope again. Because in my timeline, I want it done now. Like God fixed this now, here, right now. And I can't promise you that any of it will be fixed in this life. But he assured me in the life to come. All things will be made new. It means we hold out hope. We let the thrill of hope thrive within us and we just keep believing God. We believe you can. But yet you slay me. Even though you slay me, yet will I serve you. Father, I thank you for the thrill of hope. His name is Jesus. And I thank you, God, that it is through him that we could have the assurance of knowing that all things will be made new. And Lord, I know that there's people here today that they, they need Jesus. They don't have that assurance. They don't know that circumstances can be made new in this life or the next life because they have yet to put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And so Holy Spirit, please, please attack their hearts right now. Wrap your love around them. Let them see the need for Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.